Good morning. Welcome to Yongsan Baptist Church English Sunday School class. This last Sunday of the month of March, 2023. We started last week, while we're in our study through the book of Joshua, we started in chapter 6 last week. We made about halfway through this lesson on chapter 6. We'll start with a little bit of a review so everybody can catch up, and then we'll finish that out today. We should have plenty of time. We remembered the leading up to this part of the book of Joshua, and this lesson is on conquering Jericho God's way. <clears throat> we talked about how we need to keep in mind in this study three different ideas, and these are the blanks on the, on the handout, that faith overcomes every obstacle, according to Hebrews 11.30 and 1 John 5.4, that our weapons are spiritual, according to 2 Corinthians 10.4, and that Christ, our victor, is fully trustworthy, according to John 16.33. So, if anybody missed any of those, let me know. I'll go back for you. But otherwise, we'll, we started with numeral one. That was the captain of the Lord's host. We kind of went back to the week before last and started at chapter 5, verse 13, and then reviewed a bit of that last lesson, where the captain of the Lord's host, we, we talked about, is God's battle title. We looked at verses from Psalm 24.10, Psalm 46.7, Isaiah 8.13, and Haggai 2.4. Talking about the captain of the Lord's host, we also discussed how in the New Testament, the, the Lord is called the Lord of Sebaoth, basically a transliteration from the Hebrew word Sabah. And that was Romans 9.29 and James 5.4. So letter A there. We saw the three things Joshua did when he met the captain of the Lord's host. First, he fell on his face in worship, in verse 14. He turned over his plans in submission, also in verse 14. And then he took off his shoes in humility, in verse 15. And one of the key points that we brought out in this Point, or in this section talking about Joshua meeting the captain of the Lord's host, not just the corollaries between that and Moses at the burning bush, and then also the compare and contrast there, but we, we stated a point that there can be no public victory without private worship, submission, and humility. Is that on the notes? Mm -mm. No, didn't think so. Okay. There can be no public victory without private worship, submission, and humility. Then we got to letter B. What sign did God give Israel that victory would be realized? First, it was that the city was straightly shut up. The Bible said shut up. Chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, the city was straightly shut up. And this was a sign that either um, Jericho was choosing to fortify themselves and being obstinate against the Lord and against Israel, knowing what was coming, or perhaps they were just fearful. Uh, but either way, God's people still had to step out in faith to claim a victory because they couldn't directly fight with this people. Letter C was the battle plan, and we saw two different parts to that battle plan. One was the order of the procession, and the other was the plan of attack. And in number one, the order of the procession, according to Chapter 6, verses 3 and 7, the armed men were to lead. The armed men were to lead. 
then the seven priests followed with seven trumpets. So priests followed with trumpets, according to verse 4. The ark was in the midst. And remember that the ark represents the presence of God. It was in the midst. It wasn't ahead of them, behind them. It wasn't sitting up on a mountaintop overwatching them. It was in the midst of them. And then the rear guard, or the rearward, as the Bible says in King James, the rearward, not the re-reward, <laughs> but the rearward, or the rear guard, followed the attack in verse 9. Followed the ark. Say again? Followed the ark, not the attack. Yeah. Dyslexics are people poo. The plan of attack. The plan of attack was to march around the city, blowing the trumpets once for six days. And we discussed how God was providing the victory, but at the same time, he's requiring us to wait on him and to remember that it's his power and not ours. That it's not just walk up, I'm going to knock the walls down, and you're going to run into this city. He wanted the people to prove their faith in him. So he, he delayed this process to prove them, to prove their faith, while he was continuing to challenge the people of Jericho. And we might even contend that it was giving people in Jericho the opportunity to recognize what was coming and to repent. Um, I, I was rereading through some of uh, Pastor's devotions on the book of Exodus and saw the corollary that with the plagues that were, there was a 24-hour notice. It's as if God was giving time. Here's the warning. Yeah, there's 24 with some of the plagues, right? Every third one wasn't, right? But with some of those plagues, there was 24-hour notice to say, look, this is coming. You can believe me and you can prepare or you can continue to be obstinate, continue to have your heart hardened. And so there could be six whole days here that God gave Jericho the chance to see what was coming. But then they were to march around the city the seventh, seven times on the seventh day. That's the next block there under the plan of attack. So march around the city blowing the trumpets once for six days, no talking. March around the city seven times on the seventh day, blow the ram's horn with the trumpets and shout in verse 5. And we talked about how this was the only passage of Scripture where the, the trumpets of ram's horns are specifically mentioned, right? Trumpets are mentioned all throughout the Bible, but trumpets of ram's horns, this is the only place. And this is also the only place God did a miracle like this. So that's where we got to last week was that plan of battle. And we saw in uh, verses 4 and 5, the seven priests bearing the, the ark of the seven trumpets of ram's horns. And the seventh day, they were to compass the city seven times. The priest was to blow with the trumpets. And then they were to make a, a long blast, and the people would shout, and the wall would fall down flat. Right? So now we're going to see the capture of the city. And we'll start reading in verse 6 of Joshua, chapter 6. The, then Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said unto them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant. Let the seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said unto the people, Pass on and compass the city, and let him that is armed pass on before the Ark of the Lord. And it came to pass, when Joshua had spoken unto the people, that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns passed on before the Lord and blew with the trumpets, and the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord followed them. And the armed men went before the priests that blew with the trumpets, and the rearward came after the ark. 
the priests going on and blowing with the trumpets. And Joshua had commanded the people, saying, Ye shall not shout, nor make any noise with your voice, neither shall any word proceed out of your mouth until the day I bid you shout. Then shall ye shout. So the ark of the Lord compassed the city, going about at once. And they came into the camp and lodged in the camp. And Joshua rose up early in the morning. And the people took up the ark of the Lord, and seven priests bare seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord went on continually, and blew with the trumpets, and the armed men went before them, and the rearward came after the ark of the Lord, the priests going on and blowing with the trumpets. And then we go through to um, several other sections, but let's start right there. We real or stop right there. We realized, and the capture of the city, that's numeral two if you weren't uh, listening to the beginning before we got started, numeral two there, the capture of the city. The people obeyed the leaders, right? The spiritual chain of command in Joshua 1 is again put into operation. They obeyed their leaders in verses 6 through 9. The, the manifested unity, cooperation, and singleness of mind in their ranks, and God gave them the victory. Then let it be there in, in 10 through 14 that we just read. God, they had patience and they had faith, right? God was commanding them to be patient, to have faith, and to watch, and to listen, and obey. And they did show that patience and faith when he said, don't talk, no one talked. When he said, walk, everybody walked, right? And whatever the command that was given from God to Joshua, that was given from Joshua to the people, was obeyed. And that's how we get to victory. God gave them victory on the first day, but he could have given them victory on the first day. But like I said earlier, he proved and disciplined them through six days of marching with no talking. I've done days of marching with no talking, and it's not fun. <laughs> it's not fun. Um, quiet waiting is though a sign of maturity and, a, uh, and of a required discipline. And it, it, disciplines have to be learned, they have to be built, they have to be trained. They can't just be assumed that they exist. Right? And that's why as disciples we are disciplining ourselves. It's a process. Salvation is once for all. But discipleship and sanctification is a process because it can't just happen. It's not magic. It has to be learned. It has to be worked at. James 3, 1 through 2, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Proverbs 16, 32, He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh the city. So then, they had, they had obeyed their leaders, they had patience and faith, and the letter C there, they trusted God for the impossible. We see that in verses 15 and 16. It came to pass on the seventh day that they rose up early about the dawning of the day and compassed the city after the same manner seven times, only that on that day they compassed the city seven times. And it, compassed to pass, it came to pass at the seventh time, when the priests blew with the trumpets, Joshua said unto the people, for the Lord hath given you the city. <laughs> I didn't yell at anybody this time. But they trusted God for the impossible. Whoever heard of taking a city was shouting and trumpets. But we, talk, we, we can see in Luke chapter 1, verse 37. Turn with me to Luke 1, 37. may be underlined or highlighted in your Bible. Pretty simple. Say again. Oh, sorry. So Luke 137, with God, nothing shall be impossible. 
though we would think in our heads the way to conquer this fortified city is has to be something brute force, has to be something engineering, but instead it was God performing a miracle through the people just trusting and obeying him. It was not by their power, it was not by their might that the walls fell down, but it was by the Spirit of God. So then we see they trusted God for the impossible, and letter D, they obeyed him in every detail. This is verses 17 through 25. It, it, the Bible outlines how they did exactly what God told them to do. The loot of the city was to be devoted to God. The accursed things were to be consecrated for him. And we see obedience here that if you want a, a thought of parallel to King Saul, when he was told the same thing, right, the loot was to be devoted to God, was to be consecrated. He was, he was told to kill them all not to take things and decide to devote it to God when he wasn't commanded to. So then there's this parallel of obedience and disobedience of um, the, the proper heart and faith and not. And again, just scripture comparing with scripture. But only Rahab and her family were to be saved alive. So they, they couldn't just capture the king and stand on his neck or whatever. That everyone but Rahab and her family was to be killed. Rahab and her family were taken out of the city before it was set on fire, in case that was anybody's a confusion of anybody. But 1 Thessalonians 1.10 says, And to wait for his sons from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. So like Rahab and her family was del were delivered before the, the city was set on fire, we spiritually have been delivered before the wrath that is to come by God. 1 Thessalonians 5.9, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation, by our Lord Jesus Christ, which is, again, parallel to that scarlet thread in the window of, that Rahab hung down. Sometimes we obey God before the battle, and then we disobey him after the victory, like Achan does in the next chapter, but we're not there yet. Um, that's a challenge for us, right? As we read back through this history, is there's examples and insamples, as uh, Pastor makes the differentiation in the KJV, and samples and examples. Examples are from without our body of believers that uh, show us that this is an example. It's an example of what happened to Jericho. It's an example of what happened to Ai. And, but it's an insample what happens to the Israelites. It's an insample what happens to the disciples and the churches in the New Testament. <clears throat> Differentiating those two words for us, for our edification, our encouragement, and for our benefit. Amen. Compare the book of Joshua to the book of Acts, and you'll see that God has a spiritual army that conquered city after city with the gospel, and they went all the way to Rome, right? But again, the, there is this correlation between the physical taking back the Holy Land and the spiritual of uh, uh, conquering with a spiritual army through the gospel to bring back the unbelieving to, to God. Today, God's people need to learn how to capture cities figuratively. And this chapter tells us how to do it. So first, the soldier who wants to fight the best must bow the lowest before the battle. That's what we see from Joshua. That's the example that we get from him. The soldier who wants to fight the best must bow the lowest before the battle. Number two there, no one can take a city alone. And we need to learn that too. We're not, to, we're not called to go out into the highways and hedges all by ourselves, into the jungles, into the mountains, and try to do everything by ourselves. The Bible commands us to assemble. The Bible commands us to be a, a family of believers, a body of believers. And the hosts 
used in uh, chapter 5, um, hosts, plural, has the idea of an organized army, as in all the hosts of heaven, referring to the sun, the moon, and the stars. They have different purposes. They look different to our naked eye and to photography, right? The sun, the moon, and the stars, though, are considered the hosts of heaven. They're, God put them all out there, right, for all their different purposes. But to be together from us, for our perspective, it's all the same. The sun, the moon, and the stars are all out there. Um, and so in the same way, we're not supposed to do this alone. Number three, when we follow God's methods, he wins the battle, and he gets the victory. And that should always be our aim, for God to get the, the glory, and for God to win. And if we want God to win, instead of we wanting us to win, then we will have the proper heart to be able to be used the right way. We see this back in the, in the book of Exodus with Moses, when God was proving Moses time and time again, when the people would be quickly disobedient and, and, and turn for, against God every time Moses was, was away, right? God would say, get out of the way, I'm going to destroy them and I'll start over with you, right? Trying to offer Moses another covenant like he gave Abraham. And Moses, at least a couple of times, said, no, that would ruin your reputation. What would, the, what would these other heathen people say about you that you brought your people out of Egypt by a mighty hand just to destroy them in the desert. And, you know, that, that's the proper perspective we should have is about God's glory and defending his reputation and de defending his ability to win the victory, uh, not our own. We should never think that it's, it has anything to do with us. Then number four, unbelief looks at the walls and at the giants, but faith looks to the Lord. So we saw in both the example of spying out the land in the first place that the wall, that the giants in the land, right, caused eight out of, or, or ten out of the twelve men to fear, but Caleb and Joshua had faith. And then the people as a whole believed the ten who feared and not the two who had faith. And in this, in a, in a, contrast when Joshua sent only two spies into the land and they had faith, right? They, they, they got, there was the, the possibility of them being captured and all this, you know, that seems like it um, wasn't beneficial, it wasn't productive, and it wasn't God that, God commanded Moses to count the spies and send them into the land, to the land but God didn't command Joshua to do the same thing. And again, they came back within that mission did accomplish one thing, it gave the chance to, to save Rahab and her family. But it was faith looking to the Lord as opposed to unbelief, looking to walls and looking to giants. So don't look at the obstacles, don't look at the challenges, just look at how big our God is. And you'll have the faith to conquer cities, to capture cities. Number five, we, we want to see that the grace of God at work even in judgment, and that's talking about the situation with Rahab. We see the grace of God at work even in judgment for Rahab and her family were saved by faith in a God they didn't know, they'd only heard of. Before the flood and in the conquest of Jericho, what we see here is few were saved. And the flood, it was Noah and his family. And the, the conquering of Jericho, with however many tens of thousands of people there were in that city, only Rahab and her family. So again, a, a remnant is saved, only few were saved. And the question is, will this be the case before the last judgment? Will only a few be saved? I mean, relative to the number of humans we have on the, on the planet right now, 
Christians are a vast minority. But we are all called to reach those lost souls, to be doing the Lord's work because the fields are wide unto harvest. And it's a challenge to us how many will be able to be saved before the last judgment comes, which could be any day now. 1 Peter 3.20, which sometime were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. That's a challenge, that only eight souls saved by water, uh, saved, saved during the flood, and Rahab and her family, I don't even know if we've given a specific number of what her family is, but again, it's a small number, right? Probably no more than 12. That leads us now to uh, verses 26 and 27, the end of the chapter. We'll go ahead and read that before we get to numeral 3. Joshua 6, 26. And Joshua adjured them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord that riseth up and buildeth this city Jericho. He shall lay the foundation thereof in his firstborn, and in his youngest son shall he set up the gates of it. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was noised throughout all the country. So here we see the curse of the city. That's the third numeral here on your notes, the, the curse of the city. The them, referenced there in, 20, in verse 26, uh, and Joshua adjured them, may be referring to Rahab and her family, who were of the city of Jericho, who may have been tempted to go back and rebuild their city at another time. But the curse was fulfilled in 1 Kings 16.34, because during the reign of wicked king Ahab, um, Hiel of Bethel built Jericho. When he laid the foundation, he lost his firstborn. And when he set up the gates, he lost his youngest son. How foolish it is for us to doubt, deny, or defy God's word. This is a great lesson. The curse is laid out, and then, again, we can, we can see because we have the great blessing of the full canon of Scripture, we get to see both the, the professing and the, uh, the coming to fruition of that curse. And we should take that as a as a warning, as an admonition, to believe that God's word is what, it's, what it is. And to believe that if he, if he says he's going to bless us, he seeks to bless us. And if he says he will curse us, don't tempt him. Believe that you will be cursed. Though not built on the same site as in the Old Testament, the New Testament connects God's grace with Jericho in several places. We see in Luke chapter 10 the story of the Good Samaritan who was on his way to Jericho. We see in Luke chapter 19 that Zacchaeus was from Jericho. And then in Mark chapter 10, blind Bartimaeus was healed in Jericho. So the, even though there was this curse on the city of Jericho, and even though it was destroyed in the book of Joshua, those connected with Jericho in the future, other than you know, Heil who built it, but those connected with Jericho, there's still grace, right? And that's a great, great lesson from Jesus Christ for us that his grace is available to all and it has the power to, to, to change the lives of all. And especially in the story of the, great, of the Good Samaritan on his way to Jericho, if we presume he is from Jericho, right? The grace that he showed in that, in that situation far exceeded the grace of the priest and the Levite that came before him, right? Which is, again, a challenge to us that where is our heart in the matter? It doesn't matter how much tradition we can spout and how much um, we can hold our heads high that we are good, holy people if our heart is not motivated by grace. 
And so then that's, that's sort of bringing this whole thing around of the, that capture of the city. We need to capture cities, but now we're capturing cities with the gospel. And we're not there to destroy men, we're there to destroy the lies that are being used to control men. Um, Isaiah 30, 21. Isaiah 30, 21 is a, a memory verse that goes quite along, uh, well, goes along quite well with this, I think. And thine ears shall hear a word behind thee, saying, This is the way, walk ye in it. When you turn to the right hand and when you turn to the left. And that's a great verse to, to have as a memory verse, to remember that in life there are the both temptations to turn to the right and the left. And then there are the times where you must turn to the right or to the left. And if you are in God's word, if you are in prayer, if you are obeying the Lord in your life and you're fighting all of the temptation and all of the, the wickedness of the world to try to make sure that you are seated right in the middle of God's will, right? Find God's will for your life, get in it and stay in it. If you're there and you're seeking truly with all your heart to serve the Lord, to, to do it willingly, to do it cheerfully, then you will have the word of God and, the, and the, the, the voice of the Holy Spirit to say that word behind you, right? You will be able to say, look, Lord, whatever, whenever, wherever. And, and when there is a choice, the Lord will give you what you need and remind you of uh, all that he has done, all that he's commanded, and all that he has the power to do in, through, and for you. Amen? Again, this lesson is, uh, the whole book of Joshua is a great lesson in being strong, being courageous, and being used of the Lord um, to do great things for His honor and glory. And I think that that's something we all need. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, so let's pray, and then we'll get to the messages to follow today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are and who you will.